Last evening, I told you the papaya story. But I was so excited about the moral lesson from talking about papaya trees. And people asked me today, many of them asked me, well, did you make it right with your daughter? I said, what do you mean? Did you, did you acknowledge? Did you acknowledge that you ate it? I said, yes, I did. It was obvious I did. Well, then, uh, did you tell her that um, you're sorry, you were impatient, and you ate the whole papaya without her being there? I said, I said that. That's good. And so then this morning, somebody came to me and said, isn't it amazing? In the cafeteria, they serve papayas for breakfast. (laughs) It's amazing, isn't it? How come nobody told me? How come nobody came to my chalet and said, Dr. Saman, wake up. (laughs) Papaya is being served. (laughs) So if you're here representing the wonderful cafeteria staff, if you find in your heart any sympathy for me, would you please give me a second chance and have some papaya for me tomorrow? <laughs> because when I went there later on in the day, they had nothing. Everybody uh, enjoyed it except me. So I, I mean, I don't feel, I'm going to make it. I'm going to survive. It would be nice speaking at this convention to apply my story tomorrow. So please, if you can do it, I'll be very happy to, uh, to uh, uh, you know, eat it. And I like to eat the whole thing, by the way. <laughs> and I hope after that, if you come close to me and talk to me, that I'll breathe forth the aroma of papayas. And that's the big point about yesterday, is, as Ellen White said, when Christ, who smelled so good, is enshrined in our heart. When we breathe, we breathe forth his fragrance. What a wonderful gift from God that we can breathe forth the fragrance of Jesus. Like the Apostle Paul said, he said, thanks be to God who in Christ, in Christ, you cannot do it without Christ, in Christ always leads us. He is the leader in a triumphal procession. And through us, you see, you have the in-experience and through-us experience. You cannot have the through-us experience without the in-us experience. And through us, he diffuses the sweet aroma of Christ. We don't need anymore the bad odors of self. We must have the sweet fragrance of Christ. Always and everywhere, we need to smell sweet for Jesus. Now, yesterday we talked about the seed, the word of God, sown by the sower Jesus, falling on what ground, what soil? Wayside. Very hardened. Lifeless. Tonight we're going to talk about the seed of God's word, falling on stony ground. That's a little bit better. Things are getting a little bit better. Why? Because this is not a scattering of stones. 
No, it's, it's, like a, it's like a long, extended rock, a ledge, if you please. Because if you have scattered stones, then you could have some seeds going between the stones. No, this is solid ledge of a rock. And I want to illustrate that by telling about visiting some friends who lived in a beautiful house, and the backyard is all green grass. But then when you get to the ledge, which overlooks a very deep valley, beautiful view, but there's a ledge there, smooth rock. And they tried to put some soil on that ledge, few square feet. And they said to me, they cannot put enough soil. It erodes with the rain. So they have like an inch or two of soil, and the grass comes up, and it dries quickly. And I saw the dry spot, withered grass. And we talk about it a little bit more, and the heat comes from above in the summertime and from below, because the sun, the heat of the sun not only um, impacts it on the top, but also the rock. The ledge becomes hot. And so, therefore, temporarily, you have green grass. But then, in a short while, it dries up. But at least it had a beginning. But it had no depth. It was shallow. It was superficial. But at least the people who respond initially to God's word were interested opened their heart a little bit, but not completely. They went by feelings, by emotions that are not steady. They didn't decide this based on principle. It's just like one of my students came to my office, Dr. Saman, I'm so happy. Are you happy for me? What is the good news? She said, this young man met me. When? Two days ago. So why are you so happy? She said, what he told me. He gave me a compliment. By the way, some people are dying for compliments. But I'd rather call it affirmation. What compliment did he give you? He said, oh, you look so pretty. Really? Why do you say that? She said, your green eyes. Oh, I love your green eyes. Oh, Dr. Samo, nobody ever told me that. And now I feel I'm in love, and I'm planning my wedding. What wedding dress I should buy? It's amazing how people think kind of immediate, impulsive. I said, but, but you know something? You get to know him more. She said, why would I need to? I like him already. Impulsive, superficial. I mean, temporary. In the Christian life, we need to have a deep relationship with Jesus. And you know something? She came to me a week later. And she said, oh, I'm so brokenhearted because this young man said he doesn't want to be with me anymore. Oh, all my plans are dashed. I said, well, next time, I, I mean, I feel for you. I hurt for you. It hurts. It's disappointing. But next time, would you please get to know the guy more so you can have some knowledge of him and you can have some depth 
so you can decide along the way what you want to do. Now then, You know, Ellen White says in Christ's Object Lessons, unless we are totally belonging to Christ, totally, 100%, we don't belong to him at all. Very radical statement. We have all of Jesus, not half of Jesus. And today, in the Christian world, even affecting our Adventist churches in some places, we want to have a part of Jesus, but all, not all of Jesus. We want the Jesus we like. And so I tell my students, you cannot pick and choose like a buffet restaurant. Well, Dr. Saman, I just like Jesus to love me. But I don't want to obey him. I enjoy love more than obedience. So that's the kind of Jesus I like. And I listened to a doctoral student studying theology to teach us someday in one of our colleges. And I listened to his presentation at theological convention. And he said, I spent four years researching the Bible for a picture of God. And after four years of research, I discovered I did not like the picture of God I discovered in the Bible. So I'm just dumping my research, and now I'm going to search for the God I like. And like, like theologian, philosopher, Frenchman, he said, God made us in his image. And we want to return the favor to make him into our image. That's a very superficial relationship. That was, by the way, by name Pascal. What a statement. God made us in his image, and now we want to return the favor by making him into our image. And often we want to sit in judgment on God and his word, but we don't want God to be our judge. He better agree with us, otherwise we don't want him is becoming more and more that way. When I first came to the United States when I was a teenager, a family asked me to babysit their kids. You know, kids who are 7, 8, 12, I had no idea the meaning of the word babysit. I began to analyze the English word like, I mean, I sit with them? Uh, how do I seed them? I had no idea what I was supposed to do. So they explained my job description. And the, the parents went shopping. It always takes longer to shop. We'll be back in three hours to feed the kids lunch, but they didn't come back at 12, 1 o'clock, 1.30, 2 o'clock, and the kids became hungry. And I don't know how to cook. My wife knows how to cook well. I don't know how to cook. But if I'm desperate, I can always make a wonderful peanut butter sandwich. And Adventists like to like peanut butter, right? In some place they call us the peanut butter people or the peanut people because it's healthy. And how many here grow peanuts? Raise your hand. Be proud of it. 
Yeah? Well, I grew up on a farm. We had four seasons. We grew all kinds of crops, including peanuts. When I was in southern Georgia preaching, and some elders brought me bags of peanuts. And we roast them and we boil them. I love fresh peanuts. And so, um, but I never heard of peanut butter. We just peanuts as they are. We boil them or roast them. And then, and then I look in the cupboards and there was this peanut butter jar, creamy, and a jam jar. And I took two slices of whole wheat bread. Healthy whole wheat bread. So you have the, you have the peanut butter from the peanuts and you have the bread from the wheat, the kernels. So I began to smear the creamy peanut butter on the whole wheat bread and put some jam on, on it and I closed the sandwiches. I gave every one of the kids a sandwich, at least to hold them till the parents came. After a few seconds, I look at one of the girls. She was seven, and she opened the sandwich, and she began to lick the peanut butter and the jam with her teeth, and then she discarded the whole wheat bread. I said, wow. That's what we do sometimes in how we relate to God. We, we're shallow. We only want the love of Christ, but not obedience to Christ. And so then, and let me use two words that alliterate together. We want the sweetness of the gospel, but not the substance of the gospel. There's a difference. Have you ever seen people open a peanut butter jar or a jam jar and with their, with their spoon or, or knife, they just eat it like this? Or I know of people who live on candy at their young age. We have, uh, we have McKee's, you know, Little Debbie. We have a thrift store in Collegedale. And some people go and fill their cars with the sweet stuff. And I said, is this what you eat? Oh, yeah, that's what we eat. It's cheap, and it tastes good, and it's filling. We are interested in the sweetness of the gospel, but not the substance of the gospel. It gives us depth and helps not to be shallow. I'm not against dessert. I'm not against sweetness. But you've got to combine sweetness with substance. And what I mean by that, it's wonderful to believe that Jesus is our Savior. That's sweet. But Jesus is also our Lord. He's our Savior and Lord. We love him so that we can obey him out of love. That's a balanced approach to the gospel. And then in the book, Christ Object Lesson, commenting on the parable of the sower, Ellen White said, the effort to serve self. I want to be loved, but I never want to serve. The focus on self and not the Savior will not give us any results, will not give us any harvest. The two got to be together. Please, let's keep the sandwich together. 
the sweet stuff, but the whole wheat bread. But then Satan tempts us to go extremes. Some Adventists only talk about the whole wheat bread. That's all you got to eat. Dry. No. And some want to only have the sweet stuff. No, have both of them. The sweetness and the substance. Seventh-day Adventists must be the most balanced people in the world. And Satan wants to push us on either extreme. I really, the older I get, the more I appreciate the word balance. I don't mean compromise, balance. Have equilibrium. Look what Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, what it says, familiar promise. Trust the Lord with 50% of your heart. With all, 100% of your heart. Why? Because Jesus gave 100% of his heart. When Jesus gives us, he gives all of himself. And that should motivate us to give all our hearts to him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. When I start dating my wife at Walla Walla College, we've been married now for 47 years. That's a long time, isn't it? Praise God for that. The average American marriage lasts only seven years. Seven years. And so, you know, I, I couldn't help myself. She was so wonderful. I mean, so sweet, so godly, so spiritual. Even I missed my Middle Eastern music, which sounds strange to Western ears, and she's a classical musician. I said, you know, I miss my music. I like to hear it, to remind me of home. And she said, well, I know you don't have a good voice, so please don't sing. Can you hum me, hum the tunes? And I would hum her to her, and she would reproduce it on the piano, and it sounds better than the original. Many things drew me to her. And now, at the end of the school year, I really felt I was in love with her. And so one Saturday evening, before I had to say goodbye and go to corporate in Houston, Texas, we were walking, <clears throat> and we were holding hands, but it, we were not supposed to do that. <laughs> now it's more free. People can do that, I guess. But then, none of that. But we made sure that nobody saw us. I mean, we were in the gym for a program, and we waited for everybody to leave. Everybody. So we felt totally together, have some privacy. And I, for the first time, first time, after the ending of the school year, I stretched forth my hand, and I touched her hand. I said, either she can reject it, were accepted. And she claps to my hand. I felt so good. And then as we were walking, just enjoying ourselves, not bothering anybody, <laughs> peaceful and romantic. And the full moon was up there, and I had the feeling that somebody was stalking us. <laughs> I just felt it. You know how you feel things sometimes? I don't want to look back. And the dean of women a German lady spoke with a German accent. Her name, I still remember to this day. After 51 years, I still remember her. And she made an impression on me. And her name, 
Mrs. Heckstatz. Does that sound German or what? Heckstatz. I never forget that name. And it, 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 it sounded like something menacing, you know, Heckstatz, like I'm ready to kill you. <laughs> and she came behind us, and she separated us physically. You separate. So I end up, who said Emmett? <laughs> you know, your, the, your heart is hard. <laughs> May the Lord soften your heart, my sister. <laughs> and so I end up, instead of holding the hand of my friend. And uh, Miss Hexos was about, I mean, she looked really old, we were just 18 years old, but she was like 69 or 70. You know, and, uh, and so I ended up holding her hand. <laughs> All the way from our walk to the girls' dorm. And she said, young man, this is where you go, and this is where you go. And if we listened to her counsel advice, we would never have been married. <laughs> and the reason I'm sharing this with you, see, I tried to tell you a story, humor you a little bit, and now I hit you with the point. I said, well, I hope you don't mind that. I mean, you might even not like it, but I really love you before you leave. I, I love you with some emotion. She said, really? Really? Well, she said, oh, how much do you love me? A hundred percent. Well, that took a risk. She could have rejected me. Well, she didn't. She said, well, I'm not at that point yet. I said, well, at what point are you? She said, I love you with 50% of my heart. So in my mind, I just saw a heart cut in half. And, and it, it didn't feel like a total commitment. Thankfully, after I came back from Colpeting all summer in Houston, Texas, she was waiting for me. We took a walk. She said, you know, I'm kind of slow. I have to think about everything carefully. I said, that's good. She took my hand in her hand. She said, now I want to tell you the truth. After praying and thinking about it, I love you with all of my heart, 100%. Oh, wasn't that sweet? I hope this story helps you. <laughs> Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understand. We talk about 100%. Not shallow. Not superficial. Not an inch of soil. With all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. That's a deep relation with God. That's the opposite of stony ground. Now notice, notice this wonderful promise to help us have a deep relationship with Jesus. It says what? He will direct our paths. It means God wants to guide us. He's eager to guide us. Oh, how I pray and wish all of us, including our children, our students would adopt this wonderful philosophy, I want God to guide my life. Often we play it by ear. Often we listen to our peers. Sometimes the blind leads the blind. You know, when I tell my students, 
Because, you know, Christian education is more than giving good lectures. It's the investment of our lives in our young people. Not only a meeting of mind with mind, but heart with heart. It's not just the, it's not just the cognitive, it's the effective. And so, when it comes to that, I say, you know, one advice I want to give you, I mean, they have to take note. I'm the professor, so they can't say, don't give me your advice. I give it anyway. I, I, I scatter the seed. Good soil, stony soil, I scatter the seed. I say, this is one thing I want to tell you. Don't start having social relations with people because that's what they want. I want to date, I want to be in love. No, don't do that unless you have a relationship with Jesus. Take Jesus as your best mentor, as your best friend, and see things from his perspective. And let him guide you in your social relationships. And even, I want to tell you, second part of the advice, what Jesus said. You know what Jesus says? Sometimes it's hard. In my book, The Middle East Messiah, I have a chapter on the hard sayings of Jesus made easy. And one of these sayings I tell my young people about, Jesus said, if you love father or mother or brother or sister or even a spouse, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, anybody more than me, you're not worthy of me. And people puzzle about this. They say, I don't know what that means. You mean Jesus doesn't want you to love my family? Oh, no, absolutely not. In my culture, the Bible culture, I understand that. This is how we talk. What really this means is Jesus telling all of us, if you love me first and foremost, I'll pour out my genuine agape love in you so that you can pour it out on your parents. You could pour it out on your children. That's what he was trying to say. And so when I give premarital counseling, I do a lot of that. I still do. Oh, these lovers in my office, excited about the future life together. And after I chat with them for a while, I ask this question. I say, Johnny, I want to ask you a personal question. Yes, Dr. Simon, what is it? I said, is there anybody you love more than your girlfriend? How, how could you ask me that question? Of course not. I love her the most. By the way, once in a blue moon, the young man admits he loves another girl more. And I said, we need to have some counseling, you know. You can't get married that way. I said, you do? How come you never told me? I don't know. I'm just struggling. I look at young ladies, and sometimes I feel like I need to know them. Well, they're going to know them then. But mostly, that doesn't happen. He said, what do you mean by that? No, I love her the most. I said, think about it. Is there anybody in the whole universe you love more than your girlfriend? You mean to say Jesus? Exactly. We should never, ever get married unless we love Jesus more than our fiancé. Because otherwise you depend on your selfish love that gets depleted easily. <laughs> and so people come to me and say, you know, I don't feel, I don't feel. I'm in love anymore with my wife. I tell you something. If Jesus went by feeling, 
he wouldn't have died on the cross. He didn't feel like dying. He said, Father, take this cup away from me. Jesus' relationship with his father was deep, not shallow. But he, out of principle, heroic decision, I'll die for the human race because this love, agape love, is based on principle, not feeling. People who represent the stony soil go by emotion, by impulse, by feeling. It's very temporary. We need something more enduring. And Christ's love gives us that endurance. It's to withstand temptations and struggles. And I look at this husband. I say, so, so you don't feel like loving your wife? No, no, it's becoming stale. And, you know, I'm tempted to go with other women. I, I said, wait, can I ask you a question? You want me to help? Yes. So, so you have trouble that you don't feel you have love anymore. Right. I said, are you connecting with Jesus' love? I never thought of this right way. Well, let's think about it this way. Let me help you love Jesus with all your heart. More than anyone else. And he'll pour out his genuine, authentic love in your heart to overflowing. And then it will flow out onto your wife. I'm not talking about your love. Your love is selfish. I want Christ's love to flow out of your heart upon your wife. That's the way it works. And because of Christ's love, that's sacrificial You want to do whatever needs to be done to show your wife she is cherished, she is loved, she senses clearly your affection toward her. It comes only from being connected to Jesus. So don't look for love in all the wrong places. It's only found in Jesus. That's all. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and then lead not on your own understanding. That means the work of the mind. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Oh, in all the ways it represents the work of our hands. So to help us have depth in our relationship with Jesus, I talk about the three H's. I'm a teacher, so I like to help people remember. Like last night, the sower, the seed, and the soil. The three S's to help us remember. Three H's. What are they? We are to, how does God direct our path? The answer is threefold. Number one, trust Him with all your heart. Trust Him with all your head. And trust Him with the works of your hand. Heart, head, and hands. And He'll fulfill His promise to you by directing your paths and guiding you. You know, i like to read you something from the book I'm using for this presentation. The latest book I have, The Mideast Messiah, Cultural Insights into Christ's Life and Ministry. I want to read you something from... Uh, Well, let me just share it. I don't want to read it. Let me share it with you. Ellen White describes, by the way, in my books, I use the Bible first and then the spirit of prophecy. And I read many doctoral dissertations. I'm into research, into uh, 
the biographies, that the older I get, the more I realize our only and true source of authority is the Bible first and then the spirit of prophecy. I hope you don't mind if I say that. I want to make the trump to make trump to make a certain sound. Sometimes we get so lost in reading everything else and all the theologies and all the philosophies except the word of God. Isn't that sad? So this is what I want to read to you. The palm tree in the Middle East, they have palm trees and dates. And some people tell me, well, you know, I cannot be deep with Jesus because I have so many obstacles. I have so many problems. How can I grow deep in Jesus? And I look at this reference of Ellen White about the palm tree, a wonderful reference. And I know that Brother John has it in his compilations of Mrs. White about agriculture. And this is what she says. A palm tree in the desert looks like an evergreen tree. Why? Though the sands are gathering. And by the way, if you know a desert, and you go to Arizona, I mean, there's some plants. Middle Eastern desert is totally sand. Though piles of sand gather around the trunk. Though the, the heat of the sun, 125 degrees, beat against the sand. Why does it stay green? In spite of the obstacles. Because if you dig deeper and deeper and deeper, the palm tree sends its roots into the water deep below to drink, to drink of this water. That gives it life. So in spite of everything else, we can still, by the grace of God, reach to the water of life and be nourished by the water of life and be fed by the bread of life. No obstacle can stop us from doing that. It says in Matthew 13 that the seed immediately, quickly sprang up. That's what you call an impulsive, emotional, temporary decision. Because when the, when the kernel of wheat falls in rich soil, it takes time. Because it's making deep roots. I don't know if you heard the story about the superficial relationship with Jesus and the deep relationship. A story is told of a great orator. We know people get doctor degrees to know how to be orators. Perfect diction, perfect presentation. And he made a living by reciting classical works and poetry and the Bible. He made a living doing it. People paid him a lot of money. And one time he was asked to recite the Bible, parts of the Bible, especially Psalm 23. He stood up to recite Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He did such a great job that people were so impressed. They gave him a thunderous applause and a standing ovation. 
He did a great job. He was successful. And then he called to the podium, an elderly man hunched over. He didn't speak very well, but he knew Jesus with all his heart. He had a deep experience with Jesus. And as he recited the same song before the same people, people felt this humble elderly man really knew Jesus. He really knew Jesus with all his heart. And by the way, it's true, isn't it? There is a mysterious language that flees from our hearts to other people's hearts around us, and they sense right there, and then we are intimate with Jesus. You cannot hide that. Ellen White said, we have atmospheres around us, and these atmospheres intersect when we meet, and you know this person loved Jesus with all his heart. But at the end of his recitation of the 23rd Psalm, nobody applauded, nobody stood up. But every eye in the audience was wet with tears. What would you rather have? Would you rather have the applause or the conviction of the heart? Someday, the applause will die down that the approval of God will stay forever. My students tell me, oh, Dr. Saman, uh, I have many of my friends on Facebook. Well, how many do you have? I'm curious. Oh, well, you know, I have like 500, 1,000. Oh, really? I mean, do you re can you handle all these friends? Aren't they too many? Well, no, you know, it's not really, it's not like any close friendship. It's just, it makes me feel good that I'm popular. But you don't know these people. No, I don't. I don't have to know. I don't want to know. I just count them as friends. I said, well, let me ask you. Among the 500 or 1,000, do you happen to have the face of Jesus among your friends? No, sir, I don't. Because when Jesus comes in the clouds of heaven, he's not going to ask us, how many friends do you have? He's going to ask, am I your friend? How is he going to find out if we're his friends? Oh, he has a wonderful, accurate, perfect method of research. You know how Jesus will know that? Because sometimes we don't know about each other. He will look directly at our heart. That's the best way to research. He can look directly at the heart, and he will ask the question, do I find myself in you? Is me, Christ, formed within you? Plus, he has gone to look at our heart. Oh, how fortunate we are. How gracious God is. We still have time to really become intimate with Jesus and know he lives in our hearts. And we cannot, our spouse cannot do this for us, our children, nobody, our friends cannot do that. Between us and Jesus, when he looks at our hearts in the future, will he find himself as our best friend? He'll know. And the Apostle Paul, he will find Christ, the hope of glory, formed within us. Does that make sense to all of you? Do you resonate with what I'm telling you? Do, you? do you see what I'm telling you? And then, every eye was wet with tears of conviction. And this great orator, 
came up to the stage. He put his arm around this elderly man. He said, we both recite the same song. But apparently there was a difference. I'm going to talk to you about this difference. I know the song. But this man knows the shepherd. So I'm talking about, about two words here. I call them the two P's. What are they? Professing Christ with the mouth, not possessing Christ in the heart. There is nothing wrong with professing Christ with the mouth, but it has to go deeper to the heart. It cannot be shallow on the lips. It has to enter the heart and transform it. So I believe in what this great orator said. This man is not only professing the shepherd with his mouth, but he is possessing him with his heart. Well, I pray to God he'll help me not just to lecture and preach about Jesus with my lips, but to possess him in my heart. Because I really want with all my heart when Jesus comes to look into my heart and I'm very serious about that. Look inside of me, and he tells the truth, and he's honest, he knows the truth. And say, well done. I, I find myself in you, and in spite of you. And I know you want the same thing. I want to read you something from the book, 183. 183. Those who have the shallow stony heart, they lack substance and staying power, which comes only from being attached to the Savior, but not attached to self. By the way, there is so much of self today in the world. We need more of the Savior. I'd rather have the S of the Savior, capital S. There's too much of self, even in our electronics. Facebook, look at my face. iPhone, look at me. Selfies, look at myself. iPad. We need more of the Savior. When they hear the word of God being taught or preached, they hastily come forward to accept Jesus, a Savior who loves them, but not as the Lord whom they obey and serve. The crucial point here is that they become caught up in the apparent sweetness of the gospel, but not the substance of the gospel. They may rejoice for a while in professing Christ from their mouth, but not possessing him in the heart. They are moved by fleeting emotions, but are not governed by pervading principle. Stony, 
superficial soil means we're trying to rely on self and not the Savior to help us be victorious. And sometimes the word victorious is not a good word among some Christians. Why are you talking about victorious? Isn't that legalism? No, it's not. In everything we want to be victorious. In our business, in our sports, in car racing, in anything we want to be victorious. When it comes to our life with Jesus, we don't like to be victorious. What's wrong with us? That's a very possible. Would you rather be defeated? But we cannot be victorious by using self. We can only be victorious by joining Jesus. Uniting our weakness to his strength. You know something? Some people, well-meaning Christians, first of all, I want to use double R now to help you when I give you a final exam so you can remember. Double R. What are the double R? Revival and reformation. Some people have the mistaken idea, I must be reformed first. When I finish being reformed, then I can be revived. It's impossible. It's an impossible task. You can never be reformed unless Jesus revives you. I don't know if you know that. Early on in the presidency of Elder Wilson, they want to emphasize revival and reformation. They're still emphasizing it. But the first printings of these stickers slogans. They made a mistake, unintentional. They printed Reformation and Revival. And they had to pull them away and print new ones because, because that's the wrong theology. We can never be reformed unless we're revived. Uh, notice what John the Baptist said in John 3 and verse 30. When he had an encounter with Jesus, what did he say? Jesus must Increase. You start with Jesus first, not self. Jesus must increase, and then I must decrease. Because Jesus is the only power that, has, that can squeeze self out. He becomes so dominant in our hearts that he squeezes self out. Notice, John the Baptist doesn't say, I must decrease first, and after I decrease, then Christ will increase. That's impossible. Only Christ can help us crucify self. You know, Satan used the word of God, but he twists it, and he makes it disorderly. And he can use that text by saying, okay, try hard to humble yourself. Try hard to, to get rid of your sin. Try hard to decrease. That's good but you can spend your whole life trying to decrease. It's impossible. Just like he does with Behold the Lamb of God, John 1, 29. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, said another statement. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know how, how Satan twists this? Get rid of your sins. Just twisting the order. The order is important. Get rid of your sins. After you get rid of your sins, then behold the Lamb of God. It doesn't work. No, notice something else. He also says, behold the Lamb of God. After that, try to get rid of you. No, no. 
We cannot overcome the devil and sin. Only Christ can as we cooperate with him, as we provide the right heart, receptive heart. How does that work? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Did you notice that subtle point here? Who? Who refers to who? The Lamb of God, behold him, who takes away the sins of the world. So Christ not only is someone we behold, but he helps us to overcome our sins. Because some people say, no, you behold Jesus, and then you get rid of you. No. To behold Jesus, you allow Jesus to cooperate with you. Because he is the only power that can rid us of our sins, and he gets all the glory. But we have to cooperate with him. How do you cooperate with him? You give yourself. You trust him all your heart. So he can work within you. A story is told. Of a little boy. Who loved Jesus with all his heart. He was a little disciple of Jesus. He prayed. He enjoyed Sabbath school. He enjoyed singing songs about Jesus. And one time, he asked his dad a question because he puzzled over this question for days and weeks. You know, children his age, four and a half, cannot think in the abstract. If you study development psychology, they take things literally. And if they ate Cheerios that morning, you wonder if Jesus liked Cheerios. And he said, Daddy, I invite Christ to come into my heart every day. But daddy, I need help. Christ is so big and I'm so small. And when I invite him to live in my heart, how does that work? Because he used to his games, you see. You have a square hole here. You have a square object to fit. You know, they fit snugly. But now Jesus is so big and great and powerful. I'm so small. So when I invite him to come and live in my heart, Daddy, then he must be always sticking out of me. Wow. He is so big. And he increases in my heart. He must always be sticking out of me. What a wonderful statement by a child about Christian witnessing. And the question I want to ask all of us, what's sticking out of us? What is sticking out of us when people see us? Is it self or is it the Savior? I want the Savior to stick out of me. What about you? You know, as I look at you, I can't see light blinding. Are you there? You know, I can't even see your eyes, you know? I mean, like, I have my, oh, I don't have my glasses on. But still, I can. But you're all there, right? Do you resonate what I'm telling you? If you do, say amen. amen. Oh, why? Now I see everybody. <laughs> hmm. Christ is, looms so dominant in my heart. And I'm so small. 
and he is so big. So in order for him to be in my heart, he has to always stick out of me. What's sticking out of us today? There's too much of self in the world. Please, let's allow Jesus to stick out of us. That's the only answer. Let me, let me conclude with a verse, an illustration. Let me finally conclude. You know, some people say that, some speakers, and there's conclusion, small letter A, B, C, D. So you have four conclusions. <laughs> this will be one conclusion. Based on James 4, 7, why? Because... That's the only secret for spiritual victory in Christ. You cannot defeat Satan. Nobody can. You can never resist him unless Jesus is united with you. So Jesus and you resist him together. You know, we're told in great controversy that Satan started his deception in heaven. Right? In a perfect heaven with perfect angels. And he was able to deceive them in a perfect heaven and perfect angels. He didn't have much experience in deception. And he defeated a third of them. And now we live in a very wicked world. None of us are angels. Would somebody say amen to that? None of us are angels. If you don't say amen, that I think you believe you're an angel and you're mistaken. None of us is an angel. Say amen. I'm making a point here. If he deceived perfect angels in a perfect world, he can defeat us today. Very imperfect human being in a very wicked world. Also, Ellen White said, she said, you know, uh, he, he trained himself in psychological games. I mean, you meet a student. What are you measuring? Psychology. Oh, after you finish your bachelor's degree, I plan to have a PhD. You know, four more years. It's finished. But Satan never finishes his major. He is one of these students who come back again and again till they become 70 years old. He's studying psychological games and he understands the human mind very well to deceive it. And he's had thousands of years to perfect his psychological games. That's why Alan White said in the great controversy, don't ever try to defeat Satan. You cannot. You're not an angel. You're not a perfect work. Well, how did you defeat it? James 4, 7. Look what James 4, 7 says. Therefore, submit yourself to God. Ah, the first step we take, submit to God. Not resist the devil, because you get defeated 100% of the time. The first thing we must do to have victory in our lives and have a deep experience with Jesus is to submit ourselves to him. When we submit ourselves, we become united with him. United we stand. We become a formidable front with Jesus. 
We're together. Our weakness unites with strength. And Satan comes around and he doesn't see us by ourselves to mess with us. He sees Jesus united to us. And he pays attention because he cannot defeat Christ. He's already a defeated foe. Are you with me? That's how it works. In real life, it's simple. It's common sense. It's just like when I, on the farm back home in Syria. My dad would build terraces on the hills for the fruit trees, pomegranates, olive trees, you know, uh, figs. And he would build it to retain the soil. And he said, son, I was just five years old. But my dad wanted to instill confidence in me. He wanted to affirm me. He wanted me to feel important that he needed my help. Now I understand. At that point, I thought I took it seriously. Son, can you please help me to pick this big rock, put it on top of the wall? I need your help. Yes, Daddy, I'll do it for you. Now imagine my dad is Jesus, and I'm just a follower of Jesus. And so then I came down. I put my little hands under the rock. He put his big hands under the rock. And I did the best I could, which wasn't much. I would never have lifted the rock by myself. And the rock began to move up and up. I got my knees up and up. And together we put that stone on top of the wall. He said, son, thank you for helping me. We did it together. The same thing with Jesus. He is much more powerful than you and me. Exceedingly more powerful. And he's more than willing to unite his strength to our weakness. But we're together. We're a team. And together, we resist the devil. Together, only together. And by the way, who resists more? Who resists more? Us or Christ? Why? Because he's stronger. Who, who pulled the rock more? My dad. I went along for the ride. That's all. That makes sense. That's what helps us be deep in our relationship with Christ and helps us to be victorious. And the last step, so the first one, submit to Christ. Secondly, resist the devil with Christ. What happens? Instead of you and me fleeing for our lives in defeat, what happens? Satan flees. It's high time for Satan to start fleeing for a change. It's high time. Fleeing belongs to him, not to you and me when we submit ourselves to Christ. That's how it works. And now, I'll conclude with a statement from Ellen White. I memorized that. It's so important to me. Commenting on James 4, 7. This is what she says. When you submit yourself to Christ with all your whole heart, Satan, she doesn't say flees. She said, Satan trembles and flees. Have you ever seen somebody trembling with fear? Like tremble in your boots. Shake in your boots. Satan is not a cowboy, but he shakes in his boots. Satan trembles and flees before the weaker soul who finds refuge in that mighty name of Jesus. How many here, I want to make an appeal and pray, how many here sometimes feel you're a weak soul? Raise your hand. I do. Please, I beg of you, in the name of Jesus, 
submit yourself to Christ. And what happens to the devil? He tremble and flee. Why? Because even though you might be the weakest soul, when you find refuge in that mighty name of Jesus, he flees. Well, I feel like telling another story, you know, but I won't. I have tomorrow, I'll tell that story. It just came to my head. It's an exciting story. So tomorrow, I'll start the sermon with that story. Can you please stand up right now with me? Dear Lord, right now you see every heart. You're a very good researcher. We cannot pretend that we love you, that we trust you with our heart. Now you want us to be authentic, transparent with you because you see us right now. We can't play games with you. God is not mocked. Let's really level with you and come to this basic stuff. Someday you're going to come. I hope soon. You're going to look at my heart, every heart here. I pray with all my heart. You'll find yourself formed within us and you can recognize yourself in us. Dear Lord, you saw the hands raised and you saw the hearts uplifted by the conviction of your spirit that even when we feel we are the weakest, when we submit to you and seek refuge in your mighty name, Satan will have to tremble and flee. Defeat belongs to Satan. Victory belongs to us. Unworthy. But we open our hearts to you like, like the good soil, deep, rich. Please, Lord, grow in us. Help us to die to self that we might be resurrected in the newness of life like a plant does. And I said, let's do, Lord, what you want to tell us. That you increase and we decrease. We decrease as you increase in our lives. And therefore, we die to self by decreasing. And death is good. Death to self is good because this is the way your life can sprout in us in victory. So we can be fruitful and bless people and draw them close to you and to your kingdom. Dear Lord, take this sincere prayer. I'm doing my best to be sincere. You know my heart. And united with the mighty prayers of Jesus in our behalf. Take my puny faith, unite to the powerful faith of Jesus. And as your servant Alan Wise said, as we pray such prayers from our heart, Jesus, our mighty prayer warrior, draws close to us. May he draw close to every one of us here. And with his loving human arm as the Son of Man reaches at ground zero, even with love and compassion. And he espouses our prayer request. He marries our prayer request and makes him his own. May every prayer request here 
for being strong in Jesus, for being deep with Jesus, may this prayer request, may Jesus marry it and may it become his own request in our behalf. And now, by faith, we see these prayer requests of ours espoused by Jesus ascending upon Jesus' divine arm as a sovereign, able Son of God. And may His divine arm grasp the throne of the infinite for us. I pray this. I pray this in Jesus' mighty and wonderful name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.